0: This episode is part of a series where I interview experts on various areas around mental health. If you or someone you know is in crisis and needs help now, call 000, Lifeline on 13 11 14 or Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36 anytime for support and advice. So this podcast show is for couples. It's about couples and it's tailored towards helping families and couples make better decisions in their lives. Today, as part of our mental health series, I've invited Professor Ian Hickey onto the show to talk about the various mental health struggles that a couple can go through in a relationship. Uh, professor Ian is the a psychiatrist, a professor, an author, and he's the co-director of Health and Policy Brain and Mind Center. At the University of Sydney, so he is more than qualified to talk about this topic, um, Professor. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for the opportunity. It's um, I know you've just released a book called "Minding Your Mind," and um, I mean that—that's you know t- to me that book in itself and even just that title has intrigued me um, uh, enough. And can I ask you before we? get into it if you're mentioning to me that you've done a, a bit of work in this area when it comes to you know, couples and um, you know marital relationships and mental health. Um, can you maybe give us
1: a little bit of a background on that? Yeah when I was young some time ago some decades ago, my original doctoral thesis was on the impact of marital relationships on the onset and course of depression, particularly in people in midlife. So we talk a lot about what's going on in your own head. But actually, what goes on between your head and the person you're most intimate with or you live with or you share your life with actually has a huge impact on your risk of becoming depressed, but also on the outcome in the longer term. So in an age when we're devoted to what's going on inside our own heads, actually, what goes on between couples is in many ways a much more important determinant of their collective mental health than simply what's going on in one head. That makes a lot of sense because, it, I mean, just like any
0: partnership, you, you spend most of your time with this person, um, and and if if one person isn't going through any struggles, for example, but the other person is, it can ha- it can obviously have a bit of a compounding effect. And um, I mean, I like to call it uh, like a bit of it's a bit of creates a bit of a circle, doesn't it? Because one person's having the impact of one person's mental state affects the other, and then that person then. You know, essentially, affects multiplies the, the other person's um, situation because I mean, I mean, you, you can probably explain it better. But would would that be right that it ha- tends to have that compounding effect sometimes in a relationship if one person is going through
1: something like that? Absolutely, it's impossible for one person who's genuinely in a relationship with the other to be happy or well and have high well being, and the other one not. Um, and really, that's a sort of an essential insight. You know, the question isn't really, are you okay? The question is really, are we okay? You know, and together we can solve problems and respond to each other. If we're in conflict, that's really bad. If we can't work collaboratively on our shared difficulties, problems, and if one of us gets into trouble, we desperately need the other to understand and support us, just as we would with our physical health, with a financial crisis or any other way. And, you know, you can't really compensate for what goes on good or bad, in your intimate relationships with other relationships. Other relationships, kids, family, friends, workplaces, they're all important other social relationships. But right at the top of the pyramid is that intimate relationship with the person you live with. Get it right or suffer the consequences? Do you think couples actually realise when they're in that situation and the
0: other person's going through something, do you think it's that obvious or do you think maybe most likely they're they're more likely to sort of brush it off and think, ah, okay, they're just having a bad week or they're having a bad day or a bad year?
1: Look, those people who are in really good relationships where there's strong attachment, strong empathy, strong understanding, I think obviously do get it. Whether they feel they can help, what to do about it isn't that clear cut. And when I was a young psychiatrist some three or four decades ago, there was a great deal of emphasis on couples therapy, engaging the partner in treatment of anxiety and depression that really – They needed to get better together. A bit sadly over the course of my career, more has disappeared both from a neuroscience point of view and a psychology point of view inside one head, inside one person and a focus on that uh, brain and mind functioning of the individual. Now I think that is a big mistake in my particular area Um, and I think through COVID and other areas people have come to understand again to some degree the importance of their social connections and within that, this most intimate of connections and how important it is to anybody's uh, general sense of well-being and, and actually how much effort is required, you know, understanding something you've got to work at. So I think most people take it for granted. When it goes wrong, a lot of people are not really sure what to do and unsure how to help, how to assist, how to be the best person they can be. Uh, unsure even whether they should accompany a person to care or even comment on, changes in the other person's behavior or emotionality or thinking that may be indicative of a mental health problem and do you think it's common knowledge like do you think not common knowledge like do you think
0: most people um whether it's in your profession or um or just in general the general public do you think many people are aware of this as an issue because i can i'm just picturing a relationship breaking down where neither person even realizes that this could be a, you know, a contributing factor to, to that relationship breaking down. And a couple might just assume that, you know, over the years they've just naturally moved away from each other and, you know, they just decide just to call it quits one day when, you know, if they even ask the question, like, are we okay? or even focused on that point, maybe they could have cleaned out the the issue early on before it became something worse.
1: Right. So the failure to intervene early or to recognize or to monitor often leads to a worsening of the problem, and that may lead inevitably to separation or breakdown in the relationship, either because of the loss of contact or because of other behaviors, you know, alcohol, gambling, other relationships external to the intimate relationship, all sorts of other factors that are being driven by the mental health problems of one or both parties. So I think it is true that unrecognised and unspoken of, and it is still a huge problem in our society that people don't want to comment, Uh, even in their most intimate of relationships. They feel the responsibility for recognising and for acting simply lies with the person with the problem. Now, the problem in the mental health world is often the person with the problem is in the least good place for actually taking action about the problem. They're really struggling anyway, and they tend to retreat, they tend to withdraw they tend to try and self-manage, you know, usually in a not very helpful way with the problem, and, and in some ways don't often want to be a burden on their partner or on their family in a particular way. So unfortunately, we are stuck with a social idea that if anyone's going to do anything, it's the person with the problem who has to do something first, even though, as I say, they may be in the least good situation to actually do that. In other words, uh, an older psychiatrist, of my, a friend of mine, once remarked, you know, the best antidepressant you can ever get is a really good spouse you know, a really good person to live with, you know. And, of course, in return, you want to be the best person you can be with your spouse or partner in these settings. And I don't think we do put enough emphasis on that, monitoring that, working with that, and it will change. It will change over the course, over the life course of a relationship. What it was early, then if people have families, if they have kids, how it changes, how it changes as uh, both individuals age and they go through different life stages and career stages and, you know, these days most people can expect to live very long lives and that means very long lives within the course of a relationship. You know, evolution didn't really plan it that way but that's now how our society functions. Yes, and also I can see
0: that I'm just picturing a couple's dynamic, right, where normally when there's an issue, it's it's the, the blame game is normally the first thing that comes up um, and I can see this also creating that scenario where if somebody asks the other person, "Look, are you are you going through something, or are we okay?" or, or even if they try to bring up mental health, the other person might even see that as a as a blame and get defensive about it. And I mean, the, there's yeah. a st- you know, and I mean, there's a stigma as it is, you know, when it comes to mental health these days out there. But I'm assuming it becomes worse when you're in that relationship and your partner's telling you, "Hey, are you okay?"
1: Well, stigma's always been a problem, but blame—I think—is more importantly. You've hit the nail on the head. That we can talk about blame. So we tend to comment on the other person's behaviour. Well, you withdrew. You're drinking more. You attacked me more. You didn't listen to what I said. You know, you're less affectionate than you were. We tend. And now, these are often accurate descriptions of a behaviour, but we never go who to the next. Well, often we don't go to the next bit. Well, well, is that just because my partner has really become a nasty, unhelpful? unexpressive person or are they struggling? You know, what is the emotional state or change in emotional state sitting behind that, that the person themselves may not be that aware of, you know, they may not be aware and may not accept. And, of course, if they see it as blame rather than actually it's an accurate comment but the explanation is actually different. It's not that I don't want to be in a relationship. It's not that I don't care anymore. It's not that we've simply grown apart. It's not that I've changed. Yes, my behaviour's changed or our behaviour's changed. And, of course, when behaviour does change, the other person tends to have their own interpretation. Well, you're not as affectionate with me. Is that because you don't like me anymore or you've gone off me or I'm no longer physically attractive? You know, or you yell at me more. Is that because, you know, I deserve that? Is that because I've done something? Is that because something else has changed? So people can often then reflect on their own behaviour and feel that they are being punished by the change in behaviour of the other.
0: These podcasts have been brought to you by Better Financial Planning Australia. To book a free 15-minute phone chat, visit betterfinancialplanning.com.au.
1: So you can end up in a whole vicious circle of misinterpretations, lost opportunities, lack of understanding because there are hurt feelings on all sides and couples haven't been able to move to a different set of potential explanations for it or being collectively engaged. And I just say here, often our health system, particularly our mental health system, then makes it worse by one or other has to go off on their own to get some health advice. I mean, I prefer to say when I see anybody in a middle age who's married or in a couple and they turn up on their own, my first question is where's the other one? <laughs> where's the other person who really can tell me what's been going on, who really can provide me with a longer-term kind of set of problems? Not just they lost their job last week, now they're miserable. But how did they come to lose their job? How long have they been like this? Oh, they suddenly we have these fights so and we're about to break up. But, you know, that might be why they've come for care. But what's been going on for the last five years? Like what really is happening here? And, and really importantly, how committed are they to resolving those issues, staying with the relationship, or in truth, is one or other the people headed out of the relationship? And what can couples look out for?
0: Like, if I mean, you've mentioned a few things there, but is, are there, is there like some common issues that in your, in your research or even in your career that you've come across where apart from just the typical signs of d- depression, for example, are there, are there things that couples should – things that should be a red flag for a couple?
1: Oh, absolutely. So the common ones amongst couples is one or other withdrawing from their physical relationship, loss of intimacy. You know, couples stay together not by just what they say but what they do. So, you know, if they used to be physically – in fact, I'm usually walking into my room or my office or walking people down the street, you can usually tell whose relationship is working or not by the nonverbal interactions between them. They're the reaching out physically, etc., which you can observe in the street, you know, through hand-holding and cuddling and touching and just closeness to each other. But of course, couples can tell you much more intimately than that the extent to which they actually don't physically interact in affectionate ways anymore. So the loss of physical intimacy really important. On the other side, the uh, withdrawal from social activities together; they don't do stuff together anymore that they usually did. And then, if there is increasing hostility, anger, criticism, uh, outbursts, irritability, you know, which is, and I make the point here. What you're looking for is change. The person a year ago, six months ago, wasn't like that, but now they are. And, you know, couples can accurately report this about each other that what has changed. Now, maybe a lot of this is between them. It isn't just that one person has changed, but that, as you alluded to earlier, they got into a vicious cycle of somebody's done something, somebody else has then responded in an unhelpful way. That's throwing, you know, fuel on the fire and it's escalated from there in particular ways so i think that which normally holds relationships together physical intimacy time spent together warm words we, we have a rating actually of so-called expressed emotion or the number of critical comments that people make about each other now people know each other very well and some degree of critical commentary is inevitable but <laughs> when the number of critical comments far exceeds others you're in trouble and and speaking of um you know
0: it's not about what couples say, it's what they do. What can they do? So if a couple's listening to this and they're thinking, okay, you know, yeah, I think we might have an issue or, um, or even if one person feels like they might be in that situation, first of all, how can they approach the other person? Um, and secondly, what are some ways that this couple can do to get help? Because I mean, it's you know, having like a, a date night at a psychiatrist's office isn't exactly, you know, something that. Um, Sounds appealing to most people, so I think most couples, if one person said that to the other, they might get a bit defensive about it. But is there what are some what are what are some steps that you'd recommend? Um, even some good books to read, or resources, or um, or strategies to try,
1: and, and who to talk to about these things? So the first bit is agreeing that we have a problem, not that you have a problem. Oh, you're such a difficult person. You're such a pain. You've so changed. You should go and see a psychologist or your doctor or whatever else and get it sorted. Very unhelpful. We have a problem. So we collectively need to head down that track. Now, one of that is a kind of audit. Okay, what's going on? What's changed? You know, do we have sex anymore? Are we physically intimate? How critical are we? How supportive are we? Are we responding to each other? Do we know what the big issues are in each of us, what each of us is worrying about, is distressed about? Then there is So there's that fundamental kind of audit and part of that is do we spend time together? So the classic date night kind of thing, when's the last time we actually spent time together, holidayed together, went out together, do things together? Is there anything regular about that that actually reinforces what is good about us and is devoted to us, not the kids, not the wider social areas, not other activities, but is devoted to us? I mean, the date night idea I think is actually a really good one, but you know, made real and regular and and preferably in common interests in things that you both like to do. Presumably, if you got together in the first place, you shared some degree of common interests, you know, so that's the first step. When people are really in trouble, I slightly disagree with you about date night with a psychiatrist. Actually, date night, you know, getting a third party involved, I hear many examples when people know they can't really get it together themselves that they do go and see somebody with expertise in relationship counselling whether it's a psychologist, whether it's a psychiatrist, whether it's somebody who is actually good in the relationships area, social worker, et cetera. The third party observing and commenting on people in trouble is often incredibly helpful. Now, people go into that assuming one party or other is going to get blamed. Most people's experience is, in fact, that a third party comments more accurately, allows each of the perspectives into the conversation and if one person is much more in trouble than the other, is able to identify that in a non accusative fashion. Like, you're really struggling. It's really clear that you're really struggling, be you the one spouse or the other. And the other is trying to be supportive. They can make a commentary. It's helpful. In fact, I have had the experience where people have had date night around trips to, the, to my office and et cetera. And then they've gone out to dinner together. Then they've gone and actually they're serious about sorting it out and they need the assistance of a third party to actually have a neutral place, a safe place to say things that they can't say at home without having an argument or without someone storming out or without someone feeling terribly hurt and simply accepting the blame for the situation. So third-party mediation, third-party insights for relationships that are in trouble or need to refresh, need to start again, often really helpful. And they, they help people to problem solve by thinking about more solutions than what they've come up with themselves. When people are in trouble, they tend to come up with a very small number. One of us will have to move out. One of us will have to leave. Is this the end of the relationship? Sort of catastrophic, single responses. As distinct from, now hang on, what are the variety of possibilities here? What could we do? What options are open to us? And that having a third party with a problem solving kind of focus often helps a great deal. Yeah, that that makes sense because
0: as an advisor, when I talk to clients, even you know, having that out, being a third person coming in from an outsider's perspective, sometimes it helps couples avoid irrational decisions. um, A lot like what you said. So having someone there and having a third
1: party that sometimes knows what to look out for and what questions to ask um, can make such a difference. Yeah, what you don't want is impulsive, irrational, catastrophic decisions just because you're in a period of trouble. Now, interestingly, I have this discussion with a lot of men. A lot of men go, no way am I going off to some couples counselling, relationship counselling, whatever else, because I'm sure I'm going to get blamed. I'm sure I'm going to be told that I'm the one who's the source of the trouble. Now, by contrast, many of those who've gone turn around and go, look, I'm really surprised how useful that third party actually was, that they actually heard my side of the story and that allowed me to listen better to my spouse's side of the story, and that actually, of course, while there are differences, there's a great deal that is overlapping, It allowed us to clarify what is actually happening.
0: Yeah, no, great, great, um, some really practical tips um, that I think, I mean, any couple listening to this would probably think, actually, you know what? I think we need to talk about this, and are we okay? Professor, thank you so much for your time. Um, uh, can I ask if anybody wants to get in contact with you? I know you've just released a book called Minding Your Mind. Um, and um, I did interview um, uh, James O'Loughlin, your co-author, um, the other week about it. But if you can just remind people um, if they do want to get a, a purchase a copy, how they can do that. Um, and also, you've got a podcast show as well.
1: So the podcast is Minding Your Mind. Download it from your favorite podcast episode. And James is great. He talks about relationships and couples. He loves to talk about this stuff and I love to respond. And the book which has just been published by Penguin Books based on the podcast is also called Minding Your Mind. And a lot is devoted to this relationship stuff. Are we okay? Not just are you okay? Okay.
0: Great advice. And, um, and lastly, um, Professor, I like to finish all my episodes off with a dad joke. Um, I don't know if you have any at the top of your mind, and I didn't really prep you for this, but um, what did the baby corn ask the mama corn? Okay, no um, idea. Uh, where is my popcorn?
1: <laughs> <laughs> my kids say, are you my dad? Because I haven't seen you in a while. I go, yeah, yeah I'm the dad. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, thank, involve thank you. a lot of others oh yeah oh yeah no thank you so much for your time professor i
0: really appreciate your time so much and um i'll i'm going to put a um a link to the podcast um show actually in the bottom of the description of this episode for people to um have a listen to as well and get got on to because um i mean just this episode this 20 minutes 25 minutes we've had together has been so valuable so i really appreciate your time thank you Thanks for joining us on sharing more than the sheets. Please make sure you subscribe to be updated with future episode releases and feel free to share this episode with any friends or family that you think it might benefit. Please visit us at sharingmorethanthesheets.com.au to submit questions or requests for future podcast topics. These podcasts have been brought to you by Better Financial Planning Australia. To book a 15 minute phone chat, visit betterfinancialplanning.com.au.